Hi, readers. Tom here. So you might notice this week that there's a couple of um, sort of fairly wobbly edits or sort of dodgy moments in there where it feels like the conversation's literally just stopped. Well, you'd be right. Basically, Audacity froze a few times whilst we were using it. Uh, you'll hear me apologise as I go through it, putting little little edit points. Uh, but yeah, thanks for your patience and hopefully you enjoy the episode. On with the show. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Omcast Grand Rewatch. My name is Dom, that's one half of the Omcast, and I'm joined by Tom. Say hello, Tom. Hello. Patriotically. <laughs> so we now live in a world full of sequels, prequels, remakes and reboots. We understand that sometimes life gets in the way and you're not always going to be able to catch up before a new one comes out. With that in mind, we're here to provide a weekly retrospective on some of the biggest franchises in cinema history, giving you a full spoiler rundown of each film in a series, including plot summaries, analysis and behind-the-scenes trivia. This week, we begin our Marvel Origins series by watching the 1990 film Captain America, starring Matt Salinger. Yes! We, we, we also watched Captain America, the first Avenger from 2011 with Chris Evans. That's, but less, that's less important. We watched the 1990 Captain America. Yeah, we did. We didn't intend to. This <laughs> Something happened. You didn't intend to. No. Was this always your plan? Strange film, isn't it? It's very weird. I, right, so yeah, basically, our original plan was we were going to watch a few of the origin movies from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. As the next movie that we're going to be talking about in the cinema is most likely going to be Captain Marvel, uh, which is coming out in about four weeks' time. But. <laughs> In just doing a bit of research on YouTube last night, looking at like old versions of Captain America, we put on what we thought was like a trailer or something for the 1990 version, and it ended up being the full hour and a half movie is on YouTube. Yep. And no one cares. Like, you, I care. You, you know what I mean? Is like, usually if you were to put a full movie on YouTube like that, you get clamped down with loads of, you know, um, copyright issues, and, yeah. and you get sued and all the rest of it. For this movie, they don't seem to care. And I know why, because <laughs> I watched it all the way through, and fuck, <laughs> I, I don't know where to start. It's the most, it's the weirdest thing I've ever seen. It's so bizarre. It's yeah, it's like a made-for-TV movie. It had a really, <gasps> well, it did. It had, a really, it had like a troubled production. It was like made in 1990, but it didn't really get released in cinemas. Um, in the states, anyway, and it's got it's just like half of it's made in like Yugoslavia or something, and it's got like no budget, and the Red Skull's in it, and he's the bad guy, but he's Italian, and all his henchmen are Italian, and everything's set in Italy, even though it's Captain America. It's just fucking weird, man. It's so weird, and yeah. Anyway, we're going to talk about it sort of fairly briefly, I guess. Briefly. No, come on, we can't we can't spend too much time on <coughs> We are gonna talk so about So in our time honoured tradition <sighs> of doing rundowns. You're gonna okay, so do... I've done a rundown <laughs> of Captain America nineteen ninety. Please, please yeah, go ahead. <laughs> this is so good. We open in Italy, I think. During the war, probably. A young boy is taken from his family because of his superior intelligence, and is forced to watch his family be massacred. Luckily, though, someone's recording the whole thing. We cut to a room full of Nazis watching a film of a rat in a cage. 
they're introduced to the actor playing the rat, who turns out to be a hideous red monster. The previously mentioned young boy is subjected to an experiment, I guess. I'm guessing, because they're all speaking Italian, probably. Seven years later in the White House, a man exposits to the super soldier program without any consideration for plot or storytelling. So in the next scene, a lady gives a man a locket with a picture in it, and some other boring things happen, whilst we're told by a banner on the wall and other people that the man with the locket is Steve Goddamn Rogers. He acts the hell out of his limp whilst looking for Bernie, who is sad that he's going. Steve leaves the party and goes to a bunker under a diner to have an experiment on him. The experiment is a success, presumably, and then a man shouts Heil Hitler and shoots a doctor before he is then knocked into an electric thing and dies. There's more talking, and Cap has to go somewhere to stop or something. He goes there and has his shield and costume for reasons, and then goes to the place to stop the thing. Oh no, Red Skull is there. They do a fight before Cap is unconscious somehow and strapped to a rocket which is bound for the White House. I wasn't paying attention for a split second, and the rocket didn't crash, and it landed in Alaska. Flying newspapers pass us by telling us that a significant period of time has passed. And I think it's the 90s now, but I don't care to look up because I'm writing this rundown on my phone. This film has now become an environmental piece and a debate with the general about waste and stuff. Guess what? The Red Skull is back and he's talking about things. The most important thing that I've gleaned from this is that he is less red and has hair now. We're back in Alaska and Cap is in a block of ice. He's dug out and more people talk about a bunch of things. Some other nonsensical things happen, including a motorcycle chase, and Cap steals a car and ends up at the house that he lived in. He meets Bernie again, and more talking and nonsense happens where Cap learns history, and Bernie and her husband and a journalist we saw earlier are attacked by an Italian lady, I think, and some more femme fatales. Also, Burby is dead now. Something, 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 evil general on TV, something, 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 hospital, people talking. Cap and his new friend go to the science diner dungeon and have a fight with baddies and beat the baddies. So it turns out that the president has now been kidnapped by the salmon pink skull and they do some <laughs> exposition. We're all in Italy now for some reason and Cap and his friend are being pursued by the mob and after a very public and very poor attempt at an assassination, they go on the run. Poor old Cap is stranded by his friend but she is soon captured and held prisoner in a prison. The president of America escapes his cell and tries to commit suicide and Cap saves him but they run around the castle punching bad guys to try and stop salmon pink skull's plans. We're near the end of the film and I don't think anyone has yet explained what the plot is. Cap and Sam and Pink Skull face each other face to face in a face-off whilst the president beats some freedom into Sam and Pink Skull goons. Sam and Pink Skull runs away from Cap and takes solace at a grand piano that's placed on top of this castle that's on a cliff. <laughs> Why? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Apparently there's a bomb there too but Captain America throws his mighty shield and knocks Sam and Pink Skull into the sea. The end. Also, did you know that the man playing Captain America is the son of none other than J.D. Salinger, the man who wrote The Catcher in the Rye? <sighs> Fucking hell, man. I don't know. It's, this, uh, it's the most weird thing I've ever seen. It's honestly it's so fucking strange. Like, I think, yeah, there are certain, like, still images you could take of it yeah. that would sum up the weirdness of it. One of them, I think, should be the piano... <laughs> On the on the battlements of an Italian castle, just random, and the other one being just a real close up of his rubber ears. Matt Salinger's face with his little rubber ears. So they've got this weird thing. <laughs> so they have the Captain America costume, and it looks like you know comic accurate, I guess. But they've got this whole weird thing going on where his cowl, his you know helmet that he wears, instead of cutting out holes and having that his ears coming out, 
they instead put little rubber ears on the sides. So yep. he has rubber ears, and then he has like the the feathers, the wings, the wings, whatever that come off the top as well. And it's just it's so fucking strange. <laughs> These little rubber ears. <laughs> it's amazing. There's a scene, as I pointed out to you last night, when he takes off the cowl from the rest of his face, and his little rubber ears fold up along with him. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> it's a way to disguise his identity because he's wearing gloves, so no fingerprints. He's wearing shoes, so no footprints. Okay, so full disclosure, we had a slight recording snafu, and it uh, turns out we didn't get about five, six minutes of that. So okay. sorry, guys. We were talking about how he ended up in America. Yeah, so then he... <laughs> Yeah, I don't want to. Let's not. I don't, <laughs> I don't want to talk about this too much because I want to talk about the first Avenger and how to do it right. So th- yeah, this is an example of how to do an origin story wrong. Yeah, basically, and it's they they cram in the origin of Captain America where he gets injected with the serum and all the rest of it very early on, and then do the whole thing where he gets trapped in the ice. Yeah, and then wake him up for 40, 50 years later, which Marvel Studios years later wisely split in half and they dedicated an entire film to being a period piece yeah um but then didn't do that with this one <laughs> and it's fucking mental but like you could tell the writing was on the wall from the very beginning in terms of they're, they're gonna get this wrong in terms of steve rogers and all the rest of it when they cut to like they did give this really crap little bit of uh, exposition about this is the best volunteer we've had sir he's steve rogers from california and you california the fuck <laughs> it cuts over. It's like, it's like this a beach house, like in the middle of California, and there's like like palm trees and everything, and there's this huge family like gathering around to wish him say goodbye to him, and his mum's there. It's like no, right? This is his all mum wrong. Looks like she's the same age as he is. Yeah, and so like this is, this is all wrong. None of this is right. Steve Rogers is meant to be like a not have his parents anymore and be more or less a loner, and he has Bucky. But that's it. And we know that. And like part of the reason we know that is because Marvel Studios, since in the 2011 movie, have done the origin so right and were so faithful to the comic books and to the origin, to the character. So whenever you see, when you saw, when I saw this version, which, full disclosure, this was the first time I saw this last night. What, the 1990 version? Yeah. Well, that's understandable. I mean, the last time I saw this, you probably weren't born. Yeah. Well, unless you watched it on the day. Did you watch it when it came out? No, when were you born? 1991. Uh, oh, yeah, I watched it when you were incapable of um, not shitting your pants. Well, that hasn't changed. But anyway, that's... that's... Yeah, I don't think... I, I think I watched this probably 1993. Yeah. Okay. Maybe four. Well, yeah, around the time it would have been like out on video or whatever. Yeah, it was on the <laughs> sci-fi channel. For fuck's sake. Um, but yeah, they just they they get all the fundamentals wrong from from day one, from the very very beginning, from where yeah. he, where he's from, what his backstory is. They do the whole like even the whole idea of him going through the transformation. He the guy Matt Salinger or whatever his name is is a very well built bloke. He's like <laughs> a big six foot tall guy, and like he, there's nothing different about him after they do, all he they just do doesn't is, have a limp. He just doesn't have this like really over the top limp that he has at the beginning, which he's putting on. And as far as I can tell, they're just flashing a light at him. Yeah. And that's it. Like the rays. <laughs> so, like, yeah, they don't sell the transformation at all, which, no. again, they do far better in the new in the later movie. Yeah, they also try and shoehorn in this sort of 
legacy story of Red Skull and Captain America having this sort of shared history. Yeah. Which is just really lent on by the Red Skull character, but isn't even addressed by Captain America no, until just, like very late in the just film. Keep, stop calling me brother. They keep calling him like, well, we're brothers because yeah. I think the idea of that, like similar to... They the were actual, both born from the same experiment. Yeah, it's the same experiment or the same doctor was involved. And yeah. so there is a connection there. But like I say, they never really no <laughs> address it properly. But the thing, like, there, the, what sort of got to me with this is that I could forgive some of the inaccuracies of the like source material, like we've like for example, Captain America: First Avenger mm. is is a dramatic shift from what there was before. But what they've done is they've made a very bad film. Yes, is. Is like the totally unforgivable part. It's like you can play around with and shift around the sort of the pieces on the board of how a superhero origin works. They've done it with, well, they've done it dozens of times now. Hmm. And functionally, they can still be great films that aren't completely accurate. But by making a shit film, a really shit film, a really, really, really shit film, <laughs> and fucking with the origin, you're like, well, this is bad on all accords. Yeah. Yeah, is it similar to um, stuff like the fan, fan Fall Sick? Oh yeah, yeah. Well, like they they fucked with the origin, but they also made a really bad film. Exactly. So like, if you like, I have no problem with fucking with the origin. Yeah, if it's good. Exactly. To be honest, I'm not that one of those, you know, the fans who, who get up in arms when things are slightly different, or you know, they cast a blonde actor to play a, a brunette part or anything like that. I don't care. Yeah, as long as you as long as it's a good film. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like I said, the unforgivable sin of this Captain America is just awful. It's badly acted. The script doesn't make any sense. No. It's awful production value. It looks cheap and shit. And yeah, it's rubbish. And I, I don't want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> Can we just talk about the Chris Evans version now? <laughs> uh, I suppose. Well, I mean, what else do you want to say about it? Like, like all the the voguing. Do we need to talk to about the voguing? There are a lot of, yeah, so there are a lot of, like, sexy villains. Yeah, they're all sexy Italian villains. They're all sexy Italian villains that all pout and, like, do, like, blue steel. Yeah, they're all just a bunch of models. Whenever (laughs) they get, like, whenever they get a chance. But, um, yeah, fuck it, let's move on. (laughs) (laughs) Like, honestly, there, there is a, like, masochistic part of me that loves really, really shit films. But at the same time we're about to talk about a genuinely really good film. Yeah, like it was like it was an experience and in a way I'm glad I've watched it, but at the same time having then like the following day watched Captain America the First Avenger, it was just it felt it was like nice, it was just like a comfort blanket. It was like, <laughs> "Oh, that's better." Oh, Chris. Oh, that's better. And just but yeah, they just they get it so right. And I said to you as we were watching it, it's like they do fucking nail it. Yeah, yeah, they um, absolutely do. So yeah, I mean, let's get into it. Um, right, so I've got another rundown, which yep. I've done. This one I should probably be able to get through without giggling. Lots. Do your best. Do your best. I'll do what I can. Well, well there is still um, Steve's big head on his little body. Captain America, the first Avenger, opens with a probably too subtle Marvel title card. <laughs> we quickly move to an icy plane, and men do some digging because they found a super secret thing. We now jump back to the past in a town in Europe, in a church, which is raided by goddamned Nazis, who are mean to an old man and steal a magic box from another box that's hidden in a tree that's built into a wall. Back in the good old US of A, and we're introduced to a tiny, tiny man named Steve fucking Rogers. He's quickly marked as 4F, meaning he's ineligible to join the army. 
Shortly after, Stevie Boy is in a movie theatre and confronts a bully who quickly gives Steve a pasting before he's sent off by Sergeant Dreamy Face, a.k.a. Bucky Barnes. Steve takes another opportunity to try and enlist, only this time he's called out by Dr. Erskine for falsified examinations before he is finally recruited. In a mountain lair somewhere, Toby Jones is Arnim Zola and Hugo Weaving are conducting experiments with a magic glow box from earlier in the film. They do some science and ominously discuss changing the world. Back to the good guys now, and we meet Hayley Atwell's agent Peggy Carter and the gruffest and most charmingly cantankerous man in the entire world, Tommy Lee Jones. Steve and his army chums do some training, and whilst he can barely perform any of the exercises, he is eventually chosen for the super soldier program. That night, Dr. Eskin and Steve have a talk about exposition, and we are given the origin of Hugo Weaving's Johann Schmidt. It's then revealed that Schmidt and Zola have a plan to go after Erskine. Oh no. Oh no. Meanwhile, Steve and Agent Carter have the most awkward conversation since Dom and I went on a double date with the same woman. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah, he did. <laughs> go. <laughs> oh dear. The programme Steve has been selected for begins. Steve is injected with mysterious medicine and is exposed to enigmatic energy. The result is mind-blowing and he is finally revealed to us all as a tall, glistening Adonis with his face finally fitting his head. Whilst everyone is celebrating, double agent Richard Armitage assassinates Erskine and blows up part of the lab before escaping. Steve gives chase, demonstrating one of the best on-screen runs in the business. Double Agent Armitage tries to escape in a super-secret submarine, but the unstoppable hero quickly halts his escape, but not before Armitage kills himself with a cyanide pill hidden in his tooth, finally declaring, Hail Hydra. We now get a whole bunch of exposition, and Captain America is reassigned to sell war bonds in a USO show travelling all over America, before finally performing a show on the front lines. Whilst he's there, Steve finds out that Bucky and his squadron are either dead or have been captured behind enemy lines. He and Peggy defy their orders, recruiting Howard Stark to drop Steve behind enemy lines. Steve breaks into a Hydra facility and undertakes a daring rescue before coming face to face with Johann Schmidt, who reveals himself as the Red Skull. The Red Skull then escapes in a heliplane rocket bomb, and the facility explodes. In a triumphant scene recalling something that happened earlier in the film that I didn't tell you about, Steve returns to the army base and is officially pronounced Captain America by his army pals. There's some more expository explaining stuff where Cap gets his shield, kisses Natalie Dormer, and upsets Agent Carr by doing so. And and, and Dom. And then we're fired into our favourite storytelling device in the world. A montage. montage. The montage culminates with Bucky falling to his apparent death in the saddest moment of the MCU thus far. The Red Skull's master plan is revealed in full, with a great big plane full of bombs set to destroy key locations across allied states. Cap undertakes a revenge mission and is seemingly captured, but oh no, that sneaky star-spangled bastard is just a diversion. (laughs) Good guys invade the base and kill lots of bad guys, but the Red Skull just about makes it onto his big-ass plane and attempts to enact his plan. Cap climbs aboard with the aid of a rocket-powered megacar, and some action things occur, and it's time for the final showdown. Captain America and the Red Skull have their final fight in the control room of the Megaplane, but when the Red Skull grasps the spooky glow box from earlier, he is mysteriously disintegrated. Realising that the plane is automatically programmed to target US cities, Cap crash lands into an icy place, saving America and somehow ending World War II. The film closes on a group of children, one of which is inspired by Cap, is carrying a replica of his iconic shield painted on a bin lid. Fade to black. But wait, there's more. The end. Or is it? No, it's not!
In a special scene, we see Cap waking in an unfamiliar room. Seemingly, he's being held prisoner. He escapes into a modern Times Square in New York and he looks around bewildered, but is then greeted by Nick motherfucking Fury. End. Yes. So yeah, I mean they get they get the um the idea of obviously all these early origin movies is that each one of them was building towards the Avengers. Almost like um, they were assembling. They were assembling, if you will. Um yeah, so then the the very final note they leave it on here is leading into that team up movie. But fundamentally what Marvel got right with all these, I think, is they got the characters themselves right and they spent enough time with each one of them. Yeah. And none more so than Cap. I think Cap is one of the biggest... I mean, a lot of people talk about Tony Stark and a lot of people talk about RDJ. And they're great and we will talk about them. But I feel like Chris Evans and Captain America and the way they've done his character is outstanding. Yeah. Um, and like and we've sp- you've spoken about it before, how now there are the, the writers on the comic books mm-hmm. think of Chris Evans when they think of... Yeah. Because he embodies that character so much. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I say, it's it's the complete antithesis to the nineteen ninety movie because they just get the character of Steve Rogers is so right. Yeah, and his his at no point does Chris Evans ask somebody to pull over because he's going to be sick. Yeah, that happens <laughs> twice in the nineteen ninety movie. He the the um the Captain America hijacks someone's car by pretending that he's going to be sick, getting them out of the car, and then stealing the car. But, but anyway, like, Steve Rogers in this, like you first introduced to him, and like straight away, like, his first line is, "There's a guy there reading the newspaper, going, oh wow, there's loads of people dying over there.' It makes you think twice about going up, doesn't it?" He goes, "Nope." Yeah, perfect. And it's this tiny, like there is a bit of uncanny valley going on with the whole uh, bit, yeah, the first half or the first half hour, where what they did was they got a, a much smaller, sort of skinny actor, mm-hmm. and then they had him film the scenes, and then superimposed. Chris Evans's head or face yeah. onto that guy's body, and there are sometimes it works quite well and it's quite seamless, and there are other times where it just looks really weird. Yeah, um, so because it was a combination, wasn't it? So there were like some parts where he was just composited in, yeah, where there was nothing there, and then he would cause his scene on a green screen and then be put in. But the predominance of it, like you say, is this is this smaller guy yeah. who was projected over the top, and you're like. Yeah. Your face is too big for your yeah, head. The head is too big. It doesn't fit everything else. It's just it's strange. But I don't know how else you could do it without him not no. looking like himself anymore. But also, it's a technical achievement that's fairly unfathomable at oh, that yeah. point. Especially, but you're yeah. using the protagonist of a multi-million dollar blockbuster film in that way. Yeah. It's just absolutely astonishing. Yeah, and they don't. And it's not like they're just like dialogue scenes. Like there's the, all the scenes when he's training in the camp. Like require him to throw himself around. Like the, one of the key moments is that um, sequence where he throws himself on a dummy grenade. Yeah, at that like he's he's in an awkward position, but it still looks like Chris Evans with this tiny little guy's body. Yeah, and it's yeah, and they and like you say, although it there are some, it's not completely seamless. It's mm. still remarkable in terms yeah. of how well they were able to do it back in two thousand and eleven as well. Yeah, so you can only imagine like if they were to do it now, they'd be, you know. Well, look be, at what they could do with Thanos and Brolin. Yeah, Thanos and and the de aging that they can do on yeah. people. Like the last year, we had the um, what's it? It was Ant Man and the Wasp, and they were de aging Michael Douglas and um, didn't need to Michelle Pfeiffer. Did Michelle they? Pfeiffer just looks like that. Yeah, it's ageless because she's some sort of witch. But anyway, <laughs> we've all listen. We've all seen um, uh, Stardust. Stardust, yeah. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, I mean, like coming back to that, that point where Steve throws himself on the grenade, mm. that is kind of like when I said to you when we were watching, it's like, God, they nailed it, didn't they? They got it so right. Because yeah. I think what is unique about this as an origin movie, and it's kind of unique in a lot of superhero origin movies anyway, is that his character arc from the beginning to the end, his personality doesn't change. Yeah. He's still the same guy that he was at the beginning. And I think about the choice that he makes at the end about putting the uh, thing in the water. Skinny Steve at the beginning would have done the exact same thing. Yeah, exactly. So it's not that he's learned a lesson and he's become the hero ever. He always was the hero. He just, the film is about him finally being given the tools to be able to do it. He's actually, it's the physical transformation go, right, you've always had this morality and this like heroic side to you, but you've never had the ability to do anything with it because of the way you are, because of your physicality. Mm -hmm. So if we were to give you that, what would you do with it? And this is what he does with it. Yeah. And he's he's an absolute like here he's the best of all of us. He's yeah. the absolute moral like backbone of the MCU. Yeah. Um and they just yeah, they absolutely nail it. It's incredible. Like because there is the parallel in there about between him and Schmidt, is that Schmidt was the original test subject for this yeah. formula. Yeah. And um Erskine explains this to um Cap the night before the experiment. But it sort of says about how because he wasn't right, it sort of accentuates everything. Yeah. So if if somebody's mean and greedy and evil, yeah, it accentuates that. Whereas if somebody's pure and heroic, then it does the same. Yeah. So all it's done is it's made his like you say his physicality, made his body work in the same way that his heart and yeah. mind does. He's now capable of doing the things that he would have otherwise been wanting Ineligible to do, but not for, yeah. not being able to do. But yeah, and it's the case of. And it means that he's smarter and he's more of a tactician. And and again, yeah. they demonstrate this in really interesting ways early on. They take their time to do it. So like the um, the scene at the training camp where they've got to get the flag. Immediately, everyone's trying to climb up. Everyone's immediately trying to think, oh, right, it's a physical test. I've got to climb to the top of it. And Steve just immediately thinks about it and goes, no, if you just pull that... Mm-hmm. <laughs> you just take yeah. that out. You're, you do it the smart way, not the not the because he's had to do that and he knows the value and that's the whole thing about knowing the value of strength and all the rest of it. But like I say, that's that's the thing that makes it different because particularly if we're talking about all the other MCU origin movies, like Iron Man, Tony changes throughout that movie. Yeah, and and same with Thor, same with Doctor Strange, same with any of them. They change and become the heroes that they had the potential to be at the beginning, whereas mm-hmm. Steve, his per- like his he is still Steve. Yeah, nothing like to him, nothing changes. And there's an interesting comparison here because when we look at other origin stories as well, like you say with Thor and Iron Man, mm-hmm. they're very much character arcs that they go through and yeah. change. Whereas, um, and then you look at sort of the modern Avengers origin films. Yeah, and you see that um, you see the similarity with Cap in both Black Panther mm-hmm. and Spider Man. Yeah. So Pete loses his suit and he's like, I'm nothing without the suit. He goes back to his pyjama suit and his homemade web shooters. He's still the same person. He's still the same hero. Mm. And he's still doing the right thing. He just doesn't have the benefit of all this extra assistance. Yeah. So there are like these slight reflections as it goes along, which is really, really interesting in something when people say, oh, there's a fatigue there. And you can say, actually, they, they're doing things in new ways, really interesting ways of putting yeah. this stuff across. So whilst it's not always going to be this redemptive arc for somebody, yeah, we are going to see 
something that does sort of cross over. There are going to be parallels and things. There are only, yeah. yeah, there are only so many. I think yeah, particularly like there are certain ones that are a lot closer aligned than others. So I feel like Doctor Strange and Iron Man are yeah. very very similar in terms of the arcs they go through. Yeah. Um, but so you see Doctor Strange and Iron Man. Mm-hmm. You see um, Captain America and Black Panther. Yeah. Basically, yeah, you're seeing these like images reflected in the modern mm-hmm. equivalents. Yeah. So it's really interesting how they're doing it all in all, and yeah. how how is this going to stand in Captain Marvel? Yeah. So is she going to be? Is this going to be something like this? Is it going to be a reflection, or is it going to be a dark reflection, or is it going to be something entirely new? Yeah, I don't know. I think yeah, because I think the, the unique element of Captain Marvel, as far as I can tell, anyway, I'm trying not to read too much into it because I, I want to be, I want to go in cold. Same. But my understanding is that there's going to be an element of of amnesia, I guess, where yeah. she's discovering who she is, having forgotten. Yeah. Which is something that hasn't been done before in terms of the Marvel films. Um, obviously, that amnesia is not not a new trope by any no. stretch of the imagination. I mean, the entire Jason Bourne series was based around the idea yeah. that you can't remember who he is. But on this sort of scale, it's quite an interesting idea. But anyway, yeah, so that's what's going to be interesting about it. But it'll be interesting to see what her arc is throughout the movie. Yeah. But again, it's going to be a case of she'll get imbued with this power. And then what she does with it is what... Yeah. Which is exactly what happens to Cap. And Cap gets this power, and like you know, the first thing he does is go and save his friends and want to put himself on the front lines. Yeah. But they, like, that's the thing, they do this so well because they are able to allow him to still be a hero whilst paying respect to the origins of the character. So they have that whole USO element, yeah, which was great. And they just they have this like really over the top song, and he goes around singing all the songs, and he's got this like ridiculous outfit, and it's like, well, yeah, because they have to respect the fact or or pay homage to the fact that. The character was created as a bit of propaganda, essentially. Yeah, and, so, and they are able to fit that in because, like, when they first said, "Oh, we're going to make a Captain America movie in 2011," you're just like, "I don't know how that's going to go down." Yeah, these days, do you know what I mean? Like, it's like it is it, the aren't the stars and stripes a little old fashioned? Yeah, but it turns out they found a way to do both. They found a way to have him both be what he was always meant to be, i.e., this sort of glitz and glamour, you know, propaganda machine. And also be a genuine hero, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, it's it's a really fine balance they've struck. But again, I've got it's the writers, it's the same guys who wrote Infinity War, yeah, and wrote all the other Captain America movies. And, and they Marcus just, and McFeely, yeah. Let me look them up because we've talked about these or guys before. Yost? Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely, Marcus and McFeely, yeah, Marcus and McFeely. Fair play to them. The other sort of thing that we need to talk about in terms of the first Avenger is the supporting cast because it's great. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. One of the things that so one of the things that I would say that the MCU is doing really well is by not focusing on just a single character the whole time. Mm. <clears throat> so as my, and yes, he was sort of moved on, but for example, like Terrence Howard as Rhodey in the first Iron Man, mm-hmm. and with the um, the, you, the the Earthbound scientists and the Warriors three and Sif in Thor. They've already got like a pre-established group that are there as like a support network mm-hmm. to yeah give some light exposition here or there, but also to reinforce that this is a rounded character. Yeah, because so often you'll get somebody <clears throat> like Batman or Superman that are just stood alone. They're these sort of monoliths against evil. Yeah, by grounding them in this way, especially with someone like Bucky. Yeah, that's the thing. I but like you say that in terms of the the, the supporting cast are used to ground them, but. I think with Captain America, he's got quite a unique mm. 
because a lot of the characters, or well, I say a lot of them, the vast majority of the characters who we are introduced to in this movie don't necessarily come back. No. Or interact with Cap ever again. Um, so Howard Stark, like we don't see Dominic Cooper's Howard Stark again with Cap because um, this is the only time, because this is the young thing. And the idea being that he's lost everyone he knows. Yeah. And they they play that up just the right amount, I think, when they get when they go later without disconnecting him from everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does mean that we get, there are certain characters like the Tommy Lee Jones' character in this yeah. must be one of the best Marvel, like one and done supporting yeah. characters because he's literally, he's only in this and then that's it. Yeah. That's it. And he's it's done. Just, he's done. Because, well, we don't would, even know if he survived the war. I, yeah, exactly. That's it. Because, and, but that is like it's supposed to be a reflection of what the same with Steve. Like, I think there was a scene that they ended up cutting from the Avengers, where he was going through a big stack of the files, all the military files for all the different like Howling Commanders and everybody who was in the previous movie, and they're all deceased, deceased, yeah. deceased. And it's just like shit. And the fact that he just lost everything, that entire world that they built up. And the whole period of peace that they created very well in this movie. Mm. It's just gone. Everyone in it's gone. And you're on your own. And it, and yeah, they, they set that up well. And it's something that is unique to Captain America. Whereas, like you say, with Thor and with Iron Man and all the rest of it, from movie to movie, it's the same. It's still, Pepper's still there. Rhodey's there. Yeah. You know, Jarvis. And then you got the Warriors 3 are all still there. And then, obviously, there are, there are some casting changes in amongst all that. Yeah. But there are a core team of people that keep them grounded from movie to movie. And that's what's unique about Cap, is that he doesn't have that, and yet he still stays Cap, because he's the best of all of us, and he's Captain mm-hmm. America. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for for the purpose of you readers out there, Dom did just salute. Well, yeah. And Captain America. Uh, yeah, not, no discredit, just letting the readers know. But yeah, and and again, that's something that we'll probably get to in another one but by losing by losing bucky mm. it does you start to think oh this is going to change cap yeah and then he does move into this revenge mission almost yeah cause... and then you realize that he's actually he's anticipated that they might that you know they might be aware that bucky's dead and that he would come in sort of all guns blazing mm. and uses himself as a distraction yeah which again is another really clever thing that they put in yeah and like not laboured that point to you that's the thing yeah he's, they sell the fact that he's a strategist and he yeah. does actually know what he's doing he's not just a guy um, and like, and they do it in little subtle ways so like things like um, when they all get to the um, to the training camp where they're doing the selection process mm-hmm. you can see in the background all the guys like roughhousing each other yeah. and he's just picking out a load of books and he's got like up the art of war yeah. and all that and all that sort of stuff there so he knows strategy yeah. he knows the theory of it all but he's never been able to put it into practice. And the minute mm-hmm. he's given an opportunity to put it into practice, he kicks ass. Yeah. So then, yeah, like you say, there's the, the montage is where he's going around taking out all the Hydra bases and he knows exactly how to do it, how to go in, who to, who, who he wants on his team because he's already thought about it. Yeah. Um, which, again, becomes a, a trait going forward. But, yeah, it's just, as, as a character-building exercise, it's just, it's perfect. It's so good. Yeah. And that's that's one of the things that I would sort of say to anyone about sort of beginning the MCU is if you're going to be getting in and watching all of them and watch them in order. But if you just want to see a couple and the Avengers films, watch the Captain America trilogy. Yeah. Watch Iron Man 1 and 2 because mm. the Captain America ones are so linked into the Avengers lore as well. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And they 
<clears throat> I think this one particularly, they they do a really good job of touching on elements within the world without spending too much time on them. Yeah. Because there there are times, and I can it's a legitimate criticism I think with the MCU where they do too much world building and not enough development. I think yeah. Iron Man Two, Iron is, Man a prime, 2 is, is the prime example perfect of it. Example where it's all just lore and story and uh, like uh, talking about Howard Stark and how he was a founding member of S.H.I.E.L.D. and then Nick Fury turns up and it's all these things that distract from Tony yeah. and his arc whereas with this they managed to keep it all about Chris Chris Steve and his arc and what he's going through but they have these little touch points so like there's the whole sequence at the beginning where Schmidt gets hold of the cube and in that he's throwing out these little things ah oh, it was the jewel of Odin's treasure room and you go Odin mm. hmm Idrisil, the world's tree, and go, oh, shit. And then, obviously, this came out in the same year that Thor came out. Yeah. So all these little nods about Norse mythology and about this is where it came from. Yeah, like they, they mention it once, and then it's never talked about again. Yeah. Because they've, they've the rest of it is it's just a MacGuffin for the rest of the movie. Exactly, um, yeah. But then we know how significant the Tesseract is <laughs> going forward, not only for the Avengers, but also, like, for a movie that isn't going to come out for another 10 years. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know I mean? That's what's fucking crazy about it. The world building's unreal. But then, yeah, so you got but that... But so subtly yeah. is what makes it clever. Um, so you've got that side of things and the whole sort of mythology element, but then you've also got the character elements where you've got Howard Stark in there. Mm-hmm. And again, he's not... He's just a character in the movie, and he sort of... He, he fits the mould of the character, and he's similar to his son in a lot of ways. Yeah. And he fits what we already knew about Tony's dad. But he doesn't distract from Cap's no. journey. He just, he facilitates it, and like he makes the shield, which becomes very significant later on. Yeah. But again, we won't talk about that because it doesn't happen yet. We'll but, get emotional. Yeah, we will get emotional because, <laughs> god damn it, they just do this so well, don't they? But yeah, this is um, this is how you do it. This is how you do a Marvel origin movie. Yeah, um, and it's so the the bar is. I think what we're going to find watching these over the next few weeks is that the bar is set very high. Yeah, for Captain Marvel. Yeah, they haven't really done many misses. No, um, they're they're pretty consistent Marvel. So I'm I'm fairly confident that they'll they'll do. Yeah, they'll do good. I mean, the, the only one that I can see is sort of widely seen as a is a bit disappointing was Doctor Strange, but because and people were like, oh, it's just another origin story. Mm. But at the same time, like it brought so much in. Yeah, I feel like yeah, and then. A lot of the time, so like a lot of people say about this movie, about the first Avenger, is that it doesn't, it's not as good as the sequels. Yeah. Which is arguably true. Um, but still, like this film, standalone, yeah. is amazing. Yeah. And it's the same with, so a lot of the things with Marvel, like sometimes individual movies aren't the best, but they're worth it because of what they set up. Yeah. So even like stuff like Age of Ultron, Age of Ultron, in comparison to the other Avengers movies, is by far the weakest. But yeah. because it's there, it means A, B, and C. It means that we've yeah. seen the team functioning together. We see the origin of Vision and all the rest of it. So Vision, Scarlet Witch, Quicksilver. Yeah. It introduces the Infinity Gauntlet as a concept. Yeah. So similarly with with this movie, it sets up the Bucky and Cat relationship. It sets up little, you know, like the Howard Stark element, all those sort of things. And it, none of what is achieved later on would be possible without these foundations being there. Yeah. So I think yeah, that's that's Marvel. Yeah. That's Marvel, yeah. man. But so yeah, I mean, all in all, <laughs> Don's excitedly picked up a Funko of Captain Marvel. So that the, the, the knocking you can hear is America, Captain America. Sorry, but um, yeah, I need a I need a Captain Marvel one as well. What's the best suit? 
in this film. Oh, in this film? So in this film, there are a few different iterations of the Captain America suit. Um, there's the USO show one, which is like yeah. tights, essentially. Yeah. Um, and it looks like Tinkerbell. Um, then there's the version where he like leathers up and he's wearing like a leather jacket and he's got a helmet, and but he's using the like triangular shield. Yeah. And then there's the sort of final suit, which is the... The fatigues. Yeah, it's like, and it looks kind of like Kevlar, but it's still red, white, and blue. Yeah. And he has the round shield, which your favourite out of all them. It's tough to decide between the sort of the front lines where he's wearing like normal army trousers and a leather jacket with just the A helmet. Yeah. Because that looks wicked. Yeah, it does. It look looks cool. really, really, really good. And then he's got the, the Star Spangled costume underneath. You can just see it poking yeah. through a little bit, yeah. And then and then the actual like the first Captain America full combat ready suit. Yeah. I love. Yeah. And then it's so good that it actually it comes back in different iterations throughout the rest. Yeah, yeah. So, so he, he there is there it, is yeah. the strange left turn into the Avengers one outfit. Yeah. But then they quickly course correct afterwards in uh, in Ultron and Winter Soldier. Yeah. With the stealth suits and then the regular suits that's just been modified slightly. But I th- yeah, I think the full the actual Avenger costume that he's got is best. Yeah, it's cool. It's, it's great. And yeah, and like we were literally just watching some of the extras and stuff. The, the way they do the shield is great in this. Yeah. Um, and they've done a combination of like that sometimes they, they CGI the shield. Um, and a lot of the times, like it's down to the physicality of Chris Evans being able to mime throwing it. Yeah. And because he's so good at it and he makes yeah. it look so real that it makes their job easy, which is great, especially in comparison to, again, the 1919 version where the shield. Is like a little plastic frisbee, and it's just the worst thing. It's you've wobbly, ever seen. it's rubbery. Wobbly. I, it's just it's so crap. <laughs> it keeps getting stuck in things. Yeah, and again, it's made of vibranium. Well, it's not. They didn't. Don't even address it. They just say they just give him a shield. No, he's well. Stark says to him, yeah, "Well, because he says, how come this isn't standard issue?" No, 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 no. In the 1991. In the 1991, yeah. Yeah. In the 1991, he just suddenly turned. They just they make some comment about how the doctor designed it. They gave him a fireproof suit, and she yeah. really liked the red, white, and blue. But yeah, she it, she didn't know much about strategy, but she really liked the red, white, and blue. I'm like, we can change the color, right, to make it more practical. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 we must do exactly what it says in her diary, her secret diary where she kept all the knowledge. Yeah, <laughs> the, yeah. yeah. Let's not let's forget about the 1990s. <laughs> It was some weird fever dream that we had. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, you're thinking about the costume as well, but also, like, the the, the design of everything in there mm. is that, they yeah, they could have had this really gritty World War Two vibe, but given the subject matter, they sort of gave it a bit of a boost. So they made it a little bit more sci-fi, and they made it a little bit more fantasy Yeah, and there are elements where, like, yeah, so there's a lot of... I think one thing I would say about it is that it's quite a dark film. Like the, the color palette is quite dark. Yeah. And there, I think a lot of that comes down to the fact that they do quite heavily use green screen. Um, yeah. And there are certain scenes where you can see that, but like you say, what they managed to do quite well is have that sort of futurism, but set, but a period piece. And a lot of that comes out of the Hydra stuff. Um, a lot of the Hydra like weapons and vehicles and stuff are just really cool. And the idea is they're all powered by the Tesseract, but they're all like these really, like, what did you call um, his thing that he escaped in? 
Oh, it was um, like a plane helicopter rocket thing. <laughs> like it's just all these different things rolled into one. The heliplane rocket bomb. The heliplane rocket bomb, and yeah, it's stuff like that. Whereas like it's got these, they are really cool design elements to them. So whoever did the production design and stuff is just like this is spot on because at no point does anything thing, nothing feels too sci-fi. No, nothing feels like well, that's just silly. That's Everything out, feels grounded. Nothing feels like it's out of place, but at the same time, it's a heightened reality. It's like yeah. well, this is clearly a comic. It feels comic booky. Yeah, but it doesn't feel like well, that guy's got like a yeah. How's he got a machine gun or whatever? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Something yeah. really out, like someone, or someone driving a car that's completely the wrong period or anything like yeah. that, that would just be wrong. So like Johann Schmidt's car. Yeah. Like when you listen to it, it's it's got both the sounds of a normal engine, but also it's got like this rocket power sort of sound to it as well. But overlaid on top of that is the sound of both turbos and a supercharger. <laughs> and you're it. like, right, that's why it's so fast. I so. love your, your analysis of the engine sounds in movies. I feel like you could, you could do a whole separate spin-off podcast just about that. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to. It's just fun. Because, like, like, for example, in other films, significantly lesser films, you're like, um, well, Captain America 1990... The engine sounds that they use is clearly not the sound of a Porsche boxer engine turning over. It's the sound of a car being driven quite slowly or a car, another car driving quite fast, but there's then been put on top of a car that's actually driving about five or six miles an hour. <laughs> yeah, this, we've gone down a deep, dark hole here. I think we need to let you... <laughs> I'm fine. Yeah. Okay. Sweet. What's that, what happened to Tom? Has he spun off? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah, so, but every all like a lot of the technology in there is is really grounded in realism. So, the Valkyrie that they used is this giant plane that mm. Schmidt has constructed, was based off of a des- an unused design of a World War Two era Nazi plane. Yeah, and the World War Two version was significantly smaller. But this is made into this flying fortress, and it's got this, and it's got this, and the only reason it can fly is because it's powered by this tesseract energy. Yeah, and you're like, right? These are all really interesting concepts. Yeah, and there's the eight story tanks. <laughs> the tank, yeah, the, like that's another bit, like a really bad bit of um, CG. There's a bit tw- in amongst that uh, montage where there's just this ridiculously tall, like, is a tank that's, like, bigger than all the buildings. And he just slightly blows it up and then, like, jumps off the top of it. And it just looks very superimposed and silly. Um, but, yeah, the tanks are mental. But the, the other ones that I really like are the um, the little plane bombs. Yeah. That have got the names of the cities painted on the side of them. <laughs> the point English. that I turned to you and said, I was going to make a joke about this being on the nose. But it's too easy. It's too, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, and they're all written in English. Yeah. That's the other thing I like. It's like Boston, New York, like Philadelphia. like So they can read it when it's coming down. Yeah. So then the, the hydro guy can go, whoops, oh, k- kick uh. it, and then it will go off to, to Alaska. But there'll, be, <laughs> but there'll be a kid who gets a, per, a perfect photo of the hydro guy going, whoop. Like that. Yeah. And that kid will go on to become president. the president. Yeah. He will be the president. I mean, yeah. I mean, honestly, I think this is where we should probably start to wrap it up a bit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, all in all, we really like this film. Yeah. I know I do, and I'm really interested to see between what we're going to watch over the next couple of weeks mm-hmm. and how that's going to line up with Captain Marvel's an origin story in the yeah. MCU. Because I want the, I want it to be different. I want it to be new. But at the same time, if it 
if it's going to mirror any of them, I would like it to be more like this. I guess so, but yeah, I think the difficulty it's going to have is that it is, it can't be as grounded as this because it's going no. to be. I think yeah, there's going to be in an ideal world, it'd be a combination of this and Thor. I yeah. think because Thor is where we get like fantastical and space and all the rest mm-hmm. of it, which is why we're going to cover it on this little um, mini series that we're doing at the moment. Yeah, but I mean, I don't know. I, don't, I think that's pretty much it. Isn't yeah. It? I mean, so what's next week? So next week, I think, should we... Are we going to say Iron Man? Yeah. Yeah, so we'll do where it all began with Marvel. So this movie, although we've done it first, chronologically speaking, in terms of the the actual storyline, obviously it's set before Iron Man, because mm-hmm. it's set in the 40s. Um, the Iron Man is set when it came out, which is 2008, and that was the, the launching point for the MCU. Um, and so we're going to talk about that next week. Um, and again, it's going to be interesting to talk about that as the template by which Marvel have then followed everything going forward. Um, yeah, that's it. Yeah, I think that's about it. So, um, yeah, keep an eye on your socials. Um, as much we keep threatening to put out some other review films. Yeah, we are trying to get our way through some of the um, Oscar movies. Like we both yeah. watched Green Book this week, which I'm sure yeah. we're both keen to talk about. We saw Stan and Ollie. Stan and Ollie, yeah, that was another one. Although it's not an Oscar film because for some reason they've snubbed the entire fucking thing. Yeah, uh, yeah, but anyway, it was a BAFTA film, and I, I know that much. That much I can I can be certain of. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we we are going to try and watch some some of these proper films, uh, quote quote, <laughs> quote unquote, quote some of our critics. Yeah, um, at some point, um, and we'll talk about them as well. But clearly, as you can tell from this episode, Marvel is our home. Yeah, <laughs> so this is where our sort of one of our main passions it, lies. It's nice. It's nice to come home. Um, so yeah thanks for listening guys Um, and yeah we can say that people have been giving us some reviews on iTunes yeah which has been great really really kind of you thank you everyone that's been sort of listening and reviewing Um, it's really really important even that person that gave us a four star one we still like you as well yeah it's alright I'm talking to iTunes about hunting you down but it's fine it's fine it's not a problem (laughs) genuinely we are really really grateful it's fine I know a guy um, so thanks for listening yeah. guys um, and listen out for some more and we'll see you next week yeah see you next week cheers bye oh shit what I've got a hole in my sock oh well that's it cancel cancel it re-record the Red Skull's master plan is revealed in full with a great bleak plane full of bombs set to destroy key locations across allied states I'm going to re-record that because that was a fucking mess. Before Cap is unconscious somehow, unconscious, before Cap is unconscious, back in the good old US of A, we're introduced to a tiny, tiny man named Steve fucking, back in the good old USA and we're introduced to a tiny, tiny man named Steve, Steve. Why do I keep saying Steve? I don't know. (coughs) His name's Steve. He used to put newspapers in his shoes. Back to the good guys and we meet Hayley Atwell's Page, uh, congratulations! That's <laughs> Congratulations! <laughs> the result is a mind blowing. The result is a mind blowing. I put a comma in there accidentally. No, it's, um, it's the, can you narrate this as the uh, salmon pink skull? No, it is how uh, you'll say uh, small potatoes. Oh, we didn't mention small potatoes. Small potatoes. Oh. Margalete. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, dear. Yeah, I'm definitely editing this one.
It's fine. And then I'll just... <laughs> because the end, you've got me doing that and then you've got the prick. <laughs> no, I don't... Yeah. <laughs> oh, shit. I've got so many offcuts from the recordings. You're a monster. Oh, God.